Welcome to the Bikepack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockman Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski, and I interview bike tourists from around the world to bring you stories of their adventures and experiences. These are people who get out there and leave the comfort zone of the typical 9 to 5 to embark on ambitious adventures and take on challenges that most people can only dream about. If you like what you hear today, please share this podcast with other bike tours you know, or anyone else you think may be interested. If you want to get in touch, you can email me at info at biketouradventures.com or find me on Facebook and Instagram at Bike Tour Adventures. In episode 14 of Bike Tour Adventures, I speak with Matt and Becky, a young British couple that cycled from the United Kingdom to Singapore over the period of one year. In order to make this trip happen, they quit their jobs and decided to take time to reflect and think of what they want in life and how they will live their lives after the trip is over. We do spend some time talking about their trip throughout Europe and Asia, both being on the bike and off the bike, when to take planes, when not to, things they loved and things they didn't love so much. And then we finish the episode by talking about what it's like to go back home after a year on the road and how things have changed mentally how they've grown and developed and how their perspectives have changed and how others' perspectives of them have changed as well. I hope you enjoy the show. Matt, Becky, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourselves? Okay, I'll go first. Uh, I am um, 28 years old, or 29 now, actually. Uh, I'm an architect by trade. Um, Didn't do much cycling before this trip. I guess Matt, he can tell you a bit more about him and that will make sense. Yeah, so I, I'm also an architect and um, we were both working in London for four years before we left. And um, the architecture is quite a long course, so we, mm-hmm. we lost about 20 to um, being in university, basically. Okay. So we didn't get to do the, uh, the traveling like everyone else did. So I, I'd always wanted to do a bike trip and I'm not sure when it happened, but somehow I managed to convince Becky to, to do it on a bike as well. Okay. So we, so with the money we had saved, which we were thinking of spending on a house, and we realised it wasn't enough money, <laughs> we just thought we'd take a year off work instead and just go on a long bike trip. Oh, that's very cool. So you never did the gap year that is so characteristic of European yeah. students and stuff. Yeah. Right? yeah. So we missed that. We went straight into university. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty standard in Canada too. Like the idea of taking a gap year to most people is just incomprehensible. They're like, "Why would you do that?" And it's like, "Yeah, you don't really know yourself yet, do you?" So just take that exactly. break. And- You're too young. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think statistically, like people change majors two, three times, maybe four. Like, this is just wasting money. So might as well go and enjoy yourself if you're going to blow money. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you were talking about previous biking experience. Uh, Becky, you said you didn't really have much before the tour. Matt, you were more, you were cycling more often or? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I was always riding into work and I kind of did a, a bit of road cycling on the side so I was always kind of been into it I hadn't done a long trip but I, I was always into cycling whereas Becky uh, she only started cycling five miles to work yeah mm. just commuting on the bicycle and I only really started doing that because we had this idea that I might that we might take time off okay. to go on a trip so it was kind of to preempt you know needing to do a bit of training mm-hmm. <laughs> But it was never very far. In London, it's a good experience because it's a bit crazy cycling in London. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess I just started just to sort of give myself some experience. And this commuting, were you doing it with the same bike you took on tour? Or was that before you bought the touring bike and all the gear? Yeah, that was before I bought the touring bike, yeah. You use your mum's bike? I use my mum. Yeah, I got a second bike from my mum. So okay. I got a second bike from my mum. So. Okay, where are you guys from in England? Uh, I'm from Sheffield, which is the sort of north, middle middle of the north. Uh, I'm from Wales, which is the, oh, okay. the next to England. He's from Welsh, so. Well, I'll just let you know that I can actually understand you, so you're doing pretty good. Yeah. Okay, that's good. <laughs> you guys started at the end of May 2018. Was there a specific reason to that timing, or how did you guys decide when was uh, the right yeah, time to go? It was as simple as it was the end of our tenancy on our flat. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was that, so... We timed everything so we'd be out the flat and then we'd just go. Okay. Yeah. And you just stored everything at your family's home? Yeah. Yeah. We juggled some things around and then um, we were out there. I think it, it helped that um, we did, obviously did an approximate sort of timeline for where we were going to be at certain times of the year, certain countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of worked out that leaving in sort of early summer uh was kind of well it was decent weather wasn't yeah it wasn't the it wasn't too hot in europe but it was you know we'd be avoiding winter later on so yeah right so it, yeah it, it was probably good time and really just good luck that it worked out what was the the motivation towards doing this tour i mean it's um i could see it a bit on matt's side as if you're kind of that cyclist and you're always thinking about that bigger trip but as somebody like becky who hadn't done the biking much um how did how did it come to be to be honest, I've always re- I've always wanted to go traveling in countries that you know you wouldn't typically go on a holiday, mm-hmm. um, and I, I was always encouraging Matt to take a, a couple of months trip on a bicycle. I never thought that I would be the person to go along with him. Okay. He was thinking about going with a friend, but um, we just I mean I guess I just the, the whole adventure side um, sort of inspired me, and then. I think you sh- he showed me a video um, on YouTube. It was a na- na- National Geographic inspired video, okay. and it was just really well put together. Um, and I'm really into like photography and stuff like that, and it, it really appealed to that kind of creative side for me. And as soon as he showed me that, I was just sold. I was like, "Let's just do it. Let's just go for it." And I didn't even think about the, um, you know, the side. You know, how are we going to do it? The logistics, really yeah. <laughs> yeah, just let's just do it. Let's make it work. Nice. You were encouraging him to go on a two-month tour, right? Yeah. It was going to be just a European tour, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. just so rational and it makes so much sense. I hope my wife hears this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, that's I awesome. with the space too. I was uh, now I'm joking. Yeah, <laughs> 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 but then as soon as he showed me this video, I was like, "Hang on a minute, I want to go with you." <laughs> Actually, I've noticed that there is a trend from the guests I've had on the show. I mean, uh, the vast majority of them are beforehand they were not bike tourists and a lot of them were hardly even cyclists you know it's just yeah. like they said i want to do a tour where i see the world and i think that the bike is a really good medium to do it on because it's not so fast not so slow exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. that's uh, a key reason you know for us in the end and also yeah. the affordability really because even though you have to get there on a bicycle and it takes longer to get to a certain country um you just save so much money being on the bicycles all day and mm -hmm. And really, just when we tell people now how many countries we saw, it, you know, in the time and you know, what we spent, they're very, like, shocked about how sort of affordable it is, really. Yeah. I hadn't actually put this in my interview questions, but what was your total cost for the year? We spent about was it 8,000 8, British pounds, pounds each, each mm -hmm. um, which is less than we thought we would spend. Okay. But we didn't... Um, we didn't, towards the end, we didn't really budget. So I think we could have saved money. We could yeah. have done it even cheaper, for sure. But we just, by the end, you know, by the second half, we were like, let's just enjoy it and let's just make the yeah, most we, of it. We weren't a luxury, but just compared to some people we've met, you know. We didn't, yeah, we didn't. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we were kind of like in the middle, so we just stayed in cheap hostels and hotels. Yeah, so yeah. The, uh, yeah. Did that 8,000 pounds include the bikes and equipment? It didn't no. no it didn't okay yeah i'm just trying to get a rough estimate yeah that's that's still good i mean i know a lot of people that travel for less and i've talked to people that have traveled for way more so it's like yeah <laughs> yeah there's there's definitely no no set limit and amount to what you can spend yeah. really we, yeah. did, we definitely bought a, a lot of unnecessary equipment at the start yeah well. yeah in, a, in hindsight i recommend to anyone to just take the absolute bare essentials and then buy as you need it rather than imagining a scenario where you may need something buying yeah. it yeah mm -hmm. yeah we sent our stuff home and in these days you know you can pretty much get anything anywhere yeah. <laughs> across the world um obviously apart from a few remote places but you can always find something you don't need the top spec of you know anything yeah really. the only things maybe you want to invest well on are the bike the racks and the saddlebags like Exactly. exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. and a sleeping bag. Get the basics right. Yeah. Well, since we're talking about this, what were some of the things that you felt that, like, that you actually splurged on at the start and then realized you just didn't need and sent home? Uh, we had uh, we had huge panniers, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> so we had so then we ended up having loads of clothes with us. Okay. Uh, some of it was like quite expensive, like technical clothing, which didn't really need. Didn't really need that now. Um, For touring, I think you can get away with just you know a few decent layers um and really just kind of general clothing i mean we we did take uh two pairs of sort of padded shorts each but I don't, even that i don't think you'd really need anymore like lycra really restricts you at least makes you feel a bit embarrassed when you go into certain places and you right. down, but i think i would definitely recommend people just taking sort of normal yeah you know, i guess yeah just touring clothes just normal clothes with some yeah. kind of padded shorts underneath but um so we probably spent yeah too much money on so some kitchen stuff um yeah too much yeah. stuff, yeah. Too much of everything. You could, we can definitely condense and you know to save space and obviously to save weight. Mm -hmm. I think it's a, as as Matt said, it's one of those things you can, and you mentioned as well, you, Becky. Um, you can just buy it as you go. A lot of stuff because okay. we often overpack. Like my wife and I just did a two week tour, which is nothing huge, and but I really said like 
just be aware of what you're bringing. And in the end, she brought two going out outfits and two cycling outfits. Yeah. And it was yeah. more than enough. Like there was, I had two pairs of shorts that were also mountain biking shorts. So I could just wear them if I didn't want to wear the Lycra padded shorts. Yeah. And one pair of padded shorts. And really, it was perfect. You know, I could just wear the normal shorts. Or if some days I rode my, because I have a Brooks saddle, I just rode it with normal shorts. Some days I put a yeah. Lycra on, depending how my butt was feeling. And yeah. I just kind of went from there. And I had two jerseys, two T-shirts. That was it. That was, yeah, that was similar to me. I have basically had the same T-shirt on for a year. And it, <laughs> and it was black at the start. And it was kind of. Light, light purple kind of what time got back. Yeah, you should put it in like one of those um like football jersey frames and put it on yeah. your wall. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw that you guys um your departure was one of these you know these these things like I can only envy and imagine. You guys you guys were at a pub, you left, yeah. your friends and family were there, everybody's waving. That must yeah, have been <laughs> pretty amazing. Out, yeah, we um we decided because it, it was our local pub from uh, around the corner where we lived, and uh, we had a lot of friends living in London, and mm-hmm. um we just thought let's just actually leave from our you know goodbye party. And we had a good, a good friend who's um he's really good at photography. Well, he's a professional photographer. Yeah. So he like he managed to do all those shots for us and film it for us. So oh, that's really cool. We didn't have to worry about any of that. So yeah, it was good fun. We just made sure that we didn't go too far that day because we'd stayed and had a big pub lunch and some pints of beer. And oh, yeah, right. so we only sparkled about. We were slightly drunk. What's <laughs> <laughs> the downside to it? You can you know you can only eat and drink so much. Before yeah. You have to leave. Yeah, and how was it emotionally? Did you did you have doubts as to what you're doing, or was that the high moment where you're like, let's just do it? Yeah, I think it was the high moment. It, it was a good distraction. I think having everybody there and. You know, when the moment comes when you've got to get on your bicycle, you're kind of like, oh, now we've got to leave. And we didn't know, I didn't know which direction we were turning. So on the video that was recorded of it, I'm saying, you can hear me saying, which way are we going, left or right? Yeah. <laughs> that was quite, um, yeah, it made, us, it made the whole thing kind of easier, I think, because yeah. you, just, you just go for it and, you know, you don't think too much about it. And who was writing the blogs? Was it Becky, Matt, or both of you? Cause yeah, we, got, we we separated them. And, um, yeah, we, we signed off with our initials. So sometimes, ah. it, yeah, yeah, we made it So a mixture, yeah. We kind of took it in turns. Yeah. A, I really like the layout of your blog. Like, when I looked at the website, I was like, wow, that's really good. I'm going to steal this. And, um, <laughs> and they're just good. It was really nice. Like, I, I like that how you explained things as you went through your tour. So, like, you were, you were talking – Maybe it was Matt was talking and writing about why he chose to go through Holland first because of the flatness and the easiness yeah. of it, yeah, just yeah. to build up that, get a little bit of distance and not kill the legs and, you know, yeah. build up the yeah. core. And- yeah, exactly. Well, we thought, you know, it's a, it's a record of obviously our time for our own memories, but also, you know, just to help people. We found um, reading blogs before we went away so, so helpful that we thought, you know, it's almost a way of sort of returning the favor or, you know, just giving people that might come across the blog just an idea of you know for, for any help for them as well so so let's talk about europe first I, I kind of broke down my talk today into like some sections europe how did you decide your route through europe and was it motivated from other blogs you read or did you try to do your own thing that's a little different how did you go about that but we just in europe we really just um we followed the rivers so the two big rivers in europe the rhine and the danube okay and, um, and they have signed cycle routes called the Eurovela routes. So mm-hmm. I just thought we didn't have to, we wouldn't have to worry where we were going. So basically the first two months, 
we just kind of follow signs and it was you know it was all very easy so there was no arguments about direction or well not many arguments not many, about direction yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> limited arguments uh, and obviously a good way of bumping into, you know meeting with the cyclists just feeling comfortable in those first like crucial few weeks you know that could sort of make or break the, you know the trip i guess yeah, yeah. um it was just a good way of bedding in and you know sort of getting a routine um quite gentle you know um, but in, in hindsight we speaking to other cyclists we wish we kind of gone to the alps maybe and been a bit more daring yeah we enjoyed what we did but I was just uh, thinking yeah. the same because when you follow the Rhine and the Danube, you, you you're in an area where everybody is so accustomed to seeing cyclists that you don't really have this authentic feeling of being yeah. in these different countries, right? Yeah, yeah. So in hindsight, yeah. you would have just kind of gone off the beaten path a bit more just to 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 really get a taste of the feel in the feel of the country you're in, or yeah, maybe be a bit bolder and because um, we stayed on campsites a lot in Europe as well, which is all very safe, so mm-hmm. we weren't kind of getting those experiences with strangers who would help us out, you know, let's stay on the land or whatever. Yeah. We were playing quite safe and we, yeah, we went to the standard countries. I wish, I wish we'd gone to Italy or Montenegro. We heard it was really good. Oh, Croatia. Yeah, more mm-hmm. Saw the ones we haven't really visited so much. <laughs> Next trip. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah always another one. <laughs> uh, what was the best thing about cycling in Europe? Um, I guess the convenience. <laughs> Yeah, I, don't, um, I think the, the fact you can go to so many countries in such a short space of time, um, I think we went to in two, three weeks, you know, maybe 10 countries or something. Like, Yeah. It, you were so lucky that you can sort of pass across the borders. I guess, yeah, it's the convenience for a European to be able to just uh, pass over a border. I don't know how long that will be for. So yeah, right. The Brexit thing coming yeah. there. <laughs> um, yeah, just being able to... Yeah, feel at ease, I guess, um, and familiar, um, uh, which obviously you don't get, you know, when you're in Asia and stuff like that. But obviously, at the same time, it, it, I liked the familiarity in Asia. You sort of feel like you're in a more of an adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, I guess it's just the convenience, just um, the shops, the availability of things you can buy and um, places to stay. You don't feel like you're too, um, I don't know what's the word, like you don't have to sort of plan too much. Yeah. yeah. You know that there's always going to be something, a place to stay or something to eat. Had you guys traveled much in Eastern Europe before, or was this kind of a first foray? Uh, uh, I, I had no. Uh, no, I don't think I have either. What were your thoughts of Eastern Europe? Well, I think we were pleasantly surprised, for sure. Um, obviously, it's not quite as, well, certain countries are not as quite as developed, but I mean, I'm just thinking off the top of my head for Serbia. For example, mm-hmm. it was like so, so beautiful. We were like shocked by, you know, how maybe we cycled down the gor- the Iron Gates Gorge, and it was just it, that was one of the highlights for, in Europe for us. Yeah, and then we really liked the <clears throat> mountains in Bulgaria. But there's a lot of people from you know, Western Europe flooding into Bulgaria. Lots of people have holiday homes there. Oh yeah, it seems to be changing a lot. Um, mm-hmm. We went up to the ski resort there, uh, Bansko. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, you know, there's lots of things being built there, so you can kind of see it, you know, at the point of changing and becoming more like Western Europe. I saw some green lines on your maps. Like you took, a, was it a bus from Tbilisi to Baku? Uh, yeah, train. So in Turkey, we always, we originally planned to go through Iran, and it's very difficult. And then you realize you're British, and that it's almost yeah. impossible. 
we we were convinced we, that we could do we it. We knew about we it, knew. but we were like, oh, we're just lucky. We're just like, yeah. <laughs> we, we had a contact there. We thought we can get sponsored, and we didn't even worry about it. We just thought, you know, we'll definitely get in. And the more and more we read, and the closer we got, we were like, actually, this is not going to happen. We're not going to be able to. Yeah, get yeah. In. yeah. So we had to change the rules. So yeah, like your question earlier about the you know the season, the timing, and the year. So we realised we were going to be in Central Asia in winter. Ah, um, that's why. We decided to go out that way and we realized it'd be late in the year. So, mm-hmm. you know, there are big mountains there, so it'd be really snowy. So Absolutely. we were like, right, let's skip some small parts and then we can get there in time. Yeah, so you guys, you just kind of hustled through to skip uh, most of Armenia and Azerbaijan and just get right to the port, yeah? We figured, you know, we've only got this much time and this much money. Like, I'm not, we're not too wedded to the fact that we have to cycle every single kilometer if we have to skip a country. Mm-hmm. For a, for a better one, in our opinion, than we will. We'd heard sort of mixed reviews about Azerbaijan, um, and we just thought, well, you know, if it means enjoying the Pamir, one of the, the greatest, you know, cycling sort of adventures, I guess, you know, in the world, then let's just do it. Let's just skip out of country. We could always come back. Yeah. So, yeah, we just jumped on a train, didn't we? It was fairly painless. Yeah. And, um, and I loved that. I loved your story of like calling and calling and trying to find out when the boats are leaving. Yeah. yeah, it's such a famous story. I think for tourists that have gone that way, it's no quite like, you know, um, it's just yeah, it's just funny. Like the, that story that we tell when we come back home to people, like you just wait for this boat, you don't know when it's going to arrive. They just don't get it. It's like how? how I think we were one of the lucky ones as well because we only had to wait a day, whereas we met people at the port that had been sleeping there for six days. Yeah, no shit. Waiting for the boat. Okay, yeah. Camping on the port, yeah. And some people were sleeping because all the truckers wait as well. They were knocking on the truckers' cabs and sleeping in the cabin, in the cabin with the truckers. And, oh wow! Uh, luckily, we avoided all that. <laughs> so when you when you crossed and you arrived in uh, yeah, Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan, yeah, it's Aktau. It's um, Baku, Azerbaijan, to Aktau, Kazakhstan. Oh okay. And then we we rode a small a small section through the desert in Kazakhstan. And then we got a train. In through into Uzbekistan, where we then carried on, and that's is that where the Pamir Highway starts? And yeah. then you ride into Tajikistan, and yeah, officially starts in uh, Dushanbe. Dushanbe in Tajikistan. I lived in Russia for three years, yeah. so I actually speak Russian, and I keep saying, oh, wow. "Got to go to Central Asia one of these days." Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, if you can speak Russian, you'll have a great time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that you wouldn't anyway, but you would have a much easier time, you know. Um, just that communication, yeah. Nearby, there's just obviously very little. Uh, to eat or, or variety and mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. Being able to speak Russian up in the mountains is just invaluable. So it's amazing. You'll have to go. It's definitely a, our highlight. I think. Yeah. Tell me about the Premier Highway. I mean, some I don't know much about it. I think there's lots of other people that don't know anything about it. So what is it and uh, where does it start and end? I think you mentioned it starts in Dushanbe. Um, um, so I think there's some dispute about where the official end is. Yeah, it originates in Dushanbe. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure whether it goes all the way into Russia or whether it just goes into Kyrgyzstan. I think there's some various parts of it, but it was a road built by the Soviets um, during the Afghan war. Okay. Um, and they, they built it to get supplies into Afghanistan. That's the story, I think. Uh, and there's several sort of branches to it that go off throughout the valley. Valleys. We stepped the main route, which is called the M41. Okay. Um, and it's mostly tarmac over the mountains. It's the second highest road in the world you can cycle on or drive on. Really? How high does it get up to? So the highest point is about 4,650 meters. Something. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the only, 
The Pan America, I think, goes higher. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, yeah, so it's, you're pretty breathless at the top there. Mm. Yeah, a lot of the route is over 4,000 meters. So, um, it really not, it really affects some people. Um, but yeah, so we, we stuck to the main route with the M41. And that, yeah, like I say, it's mostly tarmac, but there's long sections of it that just have not been touched since it was built. So they are really hard going. Um, and there are two routes out of Dushanbe, the north and the south. Mm-hmm. We did a north route, and that was by far the hardest part. Okay. It's the quietest, though, so often people like it because you can, you know, you avoid all the traffic. The south road is a newer road that's been built for traffic, but it's also the road... Um, just before we arrived, it's where those cyclists were unfortunately killed in a terrorist attack by um, a car that came and ran them over. Um, so that had happened maybe three weeks before we arrived. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Oh, it was really? One of the reasons why we just decided to avoid it um, and take this sort of the harder road, but obviously the much quieter one, the safer road, in our opinion. So, yeah. Um, so um, yeah, but it's pretty spectacular. The I mean, the gra- yeah, the conditions of the roads are it's hit and miss. There's a lot of um, gravel. It's not necessarily suitable for uh, the tires that we had. You know, mm-hmm. we just have a, a touring bike. Some people go there knowing that they're going to be doing panniers, and they go on thick. Yeah, or gravel bikes, or <laughs> I guess, or mountain bikes even. With like yeah. a bike packing setup, yeah. it's probably not. You know, it's it, well, it's definitely not ideal on a touring bike with big heavy panniers, but. Doable. It's doable, yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's fun. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, what I would say is um, what a lot of people tend to do is lighten their load and take anything that they don't need for those three weeks, however long it might take them, and send them to the other side. <laughs> so that's what we did. We, um, oh, yeah? we arranged a courier to, to send a bag of stuff that we, you know, we knew uh, that we wouldn't need just to save some weight. And where did the stuff get held? Like where where did it where did they um, send it to? We, so we left it at the hostel, and the hostel arranged for a driver to take it across to uh, what was it called? No, Tez Hostel. So it was a yeah Tez Hostel, which was in um, Osh. In Osh, yeah, in Osh mm. in Pakistan. Yeah, so it's just a good tip because um, you know, yeah, you can t- end up taking quite a bit of stuff up there, and it's just so steep that um, in places that you you really could do with saving some weight. And what did that cost you? And was it pretty safe? Uh, yeah, well, we I think we Maybe paid dollars. maybe like four or five dollars, oh, wow. uh, American dollars, and um, the only problem was when we got to we got there, they our bag hadn't arrived, and it was just a misunderstanding with where the hostel was. So we just called up, and they you know they they delivered it that day, so it wasn't an issue. But uh, yeah, it seems to be pretty normal, um, pretty safe. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't suggest leaving anything valuable in there, but um, it was yeah, it was safe. That's enough, that's an you know. awesome awesome tip. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you guys overall were happy with your route. Did you think in hindsight that you would have changed it slightly or done anything differently? Uh, just on the Pamir? On the Pamir Highway. Um, we, I think we had, because the weather was challenging, we were happy with what we did. Okay. If we'd have gone earlier in the year, I think we'd have um, maybe, well, possibly taken a different road. Um, the good thing about the Pamirs is that there's so many people doing it that you always meet somebody in the hostel before or after or, you know, not necessarily mm-hmm. um, at the start or the end, but, you know, beforehand or whatever. Yeah. And they give really good advice, you know, what they did, what they would recommend. And, uh, because we arrived middle of September and it was already pushing it for, you know, uh, the weather, mm-hmm. um, 
we just decided to stick to the main road, which was the, I think it was the, not shortest, it was just, uh, yeah. Just overall, I think it was the most direct, yeah, and uh, the, the easiest in terms of, um, you know, the bike, suitable ability for the bikes and that sort of thing. Uh, the kind of most trodden path, I guess. Okay. Um, and, um, yeah, so for us, I think it was definitely the right decision for the time of year. But the, uh, they say that the, the sort of season for the Pamir is April to September, really. Yeah. Any time after September, so October to December, January, February, it's just a no-go. Um, it's just too far too cold. So anyone anyone thinking of going from November to February, it's yeah. just, we it's got, just not possible. It's mental. We got, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got caught in snow, but it was only few inches okay. next year the next day but it's still even that was unbearable it's pretty scary you know all, all your water bottles freeze in yeah tent, even if you have them between you they, they still freeze at night it goes down to about minus 15 at night so you need yeah to you have to have your water bottles in your sleeping bag that's uh yeah, that's the, yeah. that's the hint yeah. that's the canadian uh, army thing like you learn that you know early <laughs> um what i wanted to ask uh, once you got into, oh, sorry, so from Osh, you guys cycled to somewhere and then you took a flight to India, is that correct? Yeah, we went round into Kazakhstan uh, and then, because we didn't have our Pakistan or Chinese visas. Okay. Uh, and we also, I mean, we'd enjoyed Central Asia, but we were kind of done with the cold. So mm-hmm. we were like, right, we just want to get into India. So we got a flight in uh, and we flew straight into Delhi. Before continuing on with the podcast, I just want to thank some of the Bike Tour Adventures sponsors. Bike Tour Adventures is proudly sponsored by Redshift Sports. Founded in 2013 by a team of mechanical engineers who happen to be avid cyclists, they've been focused on creating components that make a meaningful difference to the riding experience, such as the switch aero system, the shock stop suspension system, and the kitchen sink handlebar system. I've been using the dual position seat posts paired with the shock stop stem since 2020 and have nothing but great things to say about their products. Use the checkout code BTA15 on their website to save 15%. Beginning in 2010 with environmental sustainability as a main focal point, Restrap has been in the bag making business for quite some time. Having used a race bag since 2021, I find their holster system and magnetic buckles to be extremely effective and truly unique. Use the checkout code BTAPOD10 to save 10% at checkout. Lastly, named after the animal that roams the Tibetan plateau, Chiru Endurance Bikes was started by Pierre Arnaud Le Mangin in 2009. After noticing the lack of endurance bikes on the market, Pierre used his expertise, know-how, and racing experience to create high-end carbon fiber and titanium bikes for the discerning rider and racer. Thanks, and back to the podcast. Uh, so that was the only flight in the trip we got, yeah. Apart from the, tri- the flight home. Apart from the flight home. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then, yeah, in Delhi, we just kind of had some downtime. We, we left the bikes in the hostel then. We had six weeks traveling around Rajasthan on foot. So, Oh, nice. Okay, I saw that you left. Yeah, I saw that you were busing it and stuff. And uh, so you spent six weeks. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, we, um, after Central Asia, we, we got quite ill. Um, it was the only time across the whole trip, I think, that we really got ill. Uh, it was just from the water, you know, the, the kind of lack of, um, you know, decent food. And the cold, I guess. And so we just thought, let's just have a bit of time off. Um, we're not necessarily ahead of schedule, but we just we thought we had a bit of time spare. Um, and we wanted to spend, we were hoping to spend um, Christmas and New Year in Nepal with a friend that we'd met. So um, we just used that time to, yeah, off the bikes in India. Um, obviously, cycling in India is pretty challenging. So we thought, you know, if we can explore it 
you know, on foot, on the trains, that sort of thing, and then sort of have minimal cycling, I guess, up all. So mm. that was the strategy. Yeah. I think that's a good way to do it in a sense because India as well is really hard to cycle in. Yeah, yeah. I think I think so. Um, I mean, India is definitely a highlight for us. The whole trip, I think it was our favorite country, just the food, the, the culture, um, everything really, just all mm-hmm. in one great but obviously we were on a cycling trip and it wouldn't be, have been the highlight for cycling because yeah it, it, you know as you say it's difficult there. it wasn't lots um, of people but it was it out of the city it really wasn't too bad because they build you know huge roads there's a lot of uh, infrastructure being built oh, okay. in minutes they build these huge roads and all the trucks and all the dangerous things don't like being on the inside because they slow them down so they're all in the fast lane so you're on a bike and you're actually quite far away from the really dangerous things Okay. And they're quite used to seeing people on bikes there. So it's not where everyone assumed, you know, a lot of people I spoke to after the trip, or that would be the worst country. But it definitely That's what I would have imagined, yeah. But maybe it's just once yeah. you get into the yeah. cities, you're just like... Yeah, definitely not the safest. But, you know, our first experience of riding in India was riding out of Delhi in rush hour. And I would almost describe it as fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it wasn't the scariest because you know you see all sorts of things on the road like there's carts there's people pu- you know pulling things bicycles as at all sorts of types of vehicles yeah and so the traffic isn't really moving that quickly uh and it's just so interesting to see or to be part of it that you actually don't well we at least we didn't feel unsafe yeah. and i think we were quite well prepared we'd obviously heard a lot of stories from cyclists that had already been there and so we were because we were mentally prepared i think when we got there we were quite like happily surprised um and we just got stuck in and just enjoyed it you know um it was yeah as you say it was quite it was quite a good laugh leaving delhi and then from there you can find you know quiet roads um that kind of run through the countryside so yeah, yeah it's uh, yeah we quite enjoyed it we quite enjoyed it <laughs> so when you went into nepal did you guys do any hiking and stuff as well or just uh, uh yeah and just after new year we did the langtang valley which is um just uh, directly above Kathmandu. Okay. Um, and it wasn't one of the major ones, you know, it wasn't, you know, a mountain circuit. Uh, lots of people do the Annapurna circuit. That's very popular. Yeah, it's quite popular. Yeah. 17 days yeah. or something. Yeah. So we only had about a week. So this Langtown Valley is up and down, no way to get lost. Um, oh, cool. But it kind of, it was like uh, the Himalayas light it gave us good experience, but, you know, all the views. It was lovely, up. actually. It was great. Yeah. And if you do, if you want to do something unguided and you don't have that much time, you don't want to take, you know, you don't have that much gear, like we didn't want to buy loads of hiking gear just for, the, you know, uh, just for two weeks or so. Um, so I think it's suitable if you, you know, you don't want to sort of spend too much money. And you guys yeah. were, that was like December, January, right? So it's, yeah. If you guys could do it okay with what you had, then it's a, it's a good. No, yeah. no, it wasn't like cold. Well, they started to snow when we came down, but it wasn't that cold, you know. I think because you're hiking as well, you're, you're warming yourself up anyway. Yeah. We just did it in trainers and we were absolutely fine. So. What were some of the other highlights in Asia? And I say Asia, it's a broad term, so. <laughs> um, um, well, actually, after Nepal, because we were back in northeast India, uh, well, you have to go back through India to yeah. get into Myanmar. Uh, and the, a lot of those states have only just opened up. You I mean you used to have to get permits and all sorts to go into them. And I think only last year or year before, they've kind of relaxed their uh, view on tourists. Okay. So they, these are really uh, unexplored areas, and it's very culturally they're very different to the rest of India. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I mean, uh, people, um, you know, you would say they're more Southeast Asian than Indian Asian. Um, the languages are all different. The food's different. Okay. I felt like a kind of a really big unknown. And my buddy Scott, he said that, like, that was the longest time in any part of where he's been where he just didn't have beer or beef. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. just like, you just couldn't find beer. He's like, I couldn't find it. Like, that was it. <laughs> yeah. In India, generally, I was surprised by that, actually. Um, obviously, in the go to these touristy places, there's always a place you can find. But yeah. definitely not in the rural places. There's just, it's just nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite shocking, yeah. yeah. But actually, in the, some of the states, the northeastern states, uh, Nagaland and... Manipur, they, yeah, they're Christians. They have all lots of pork can, again. pork again. Yeah, you see <laughs> oh. these, big, these big signs of pigs and meat everywhere and... It's a quite a dramatic change, you know. You just cross over into a new state, and there's just churches everywhere, big uh, crosses, and yeah, um, lots of pork on the street. So mm. it's quite funny to see that difference. And then I, I would say one country that really surprised us, pleasantly surprised us, was Laos as well. How um, so? Uh, everyone was saying how hilly it was, but we we really didn't find the hills that bad, and the roads were really good, and the food was amazing, and everyone was mm. really friendly. Yeah, after uh, Thailand, I think it just felt more um, relaxed and, uh, yeah, just the people were super, super relaxed. It's really chill, isn't it? Yeah, really yeah. chilled. And, yeah, the, the roads, you know, not as bad as we were told. And um, I don't know, it just felt just, we just uh, maybe it was just something to do with how we felt as well. But we just felt really comfortable. Calm. Yeah, calm. How was, uh, how was Myanmar? It's quite oh, a it's just quite a new place too for people to bike to. It's getting just starting to open up more and more. Yeah. yeah, it's funny that they um if you're on a bike they just wave you through. They don't seem to have a problem with you. But if you're on a motorbike or a car, you have to get an armed escort and all this stuff. So and checks, yeah. Um, I don't know how long it stayed like that for, but mm-hmm. we were lucky. Yeah, that you just roll in and um, yeah, that's I guess they're not really set up tourism yet, but that kind of adds to the adventure. Yeah, they have centers there which everyone goes to, but the in between is. It's pretty remote, but mm. that's um, that was one of the hottest countries in the trip. Yeah, dry heat. Yeah. yeah, we couldn't. Uh, that was the first time we had to stop cycling in the daytime. Oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah, we um, we didn't cycle from maybe like twelve one o'clock till maybe three or four, mm-hmm. uh, and even that was pushing it. You know, we we carried on cycling even though it was still boiling hot. What but time? Was what time of the year was that? That was probably around February, March. Uh, Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, um, it was it was hot. I was in Cambodia in February. It was freaking hot, man, this year. Yeah. Was, people are like, it shouldn't be this hot. It should be rainy season. I'm like, holy crap. Yeah. yeah. I don't know whether we got used to it later on or whether it was cooling down, but mm. the rest of Asia we were kind of okay, but that was yeah. the one we really struggled. Cambodia yeah. was a long, dry, hot season. It was brutal. Um yeah. when you guys crossed out of Myanmar, you took you went the Mehong San Loop North or uh, from Mesa, we went from Mesa. We crossed the Mysot and then we went north up to we um, cut across to Chiang Mai. Yeah. Oh, Mesa yeah. and then cut across. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, oh yeah, across the Lao. Yeah. Nice. I did that ride. That's nice. That's a nice ride. Yeah, it's good. I, I definitely come after Myanmar to come onto Thai, you know, Thai polished tarmac roads and oh, they're so oh, nice, right? Yeah, and have you know, Seven <laughs> Eleven. It was pretty nice. Uh, we really enjoyed Myanmar, actually. I mean, aside from, you know, the government and what they're doing to their people, it's, um, it's yeah. a very interesting country and the people are lovely. Um, but, yeah, it did feel like you were kind of coming back 
to a familiar country when you came back into mm-hmm. Thailand. In Europe, Thailand. Yeah, it's basically a European country or a Western country. And I think without exception, the f- one in word that comes out of every single person's mouth is, ah, oh, the 7-Elevens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, I hate to be that person, but really, it's, uh, after yeah. spending a long time, you know, away from sort of anything... You know, any familiarity, it's, it's nice to see the, the big shiny sign. <laughs> yeah, it is It is something that they took directly or maybe it's um, brought in from Japan because Jap- Japanese 7-Elevens are pretty much the same, if not better yet. Um, yeah, really. Yeah. So, Lao, you guys took the slow boat. That looked really cool. Um, yeah. I still want to do that, that too. Because um, we were meeting, uh, my parents flew out to Vietnam to meet us. So that was the only time we felt a bit under time pressure. So again, okay. we went down the slow boat, but we really enjoyed that. It was amazing, yeah. I, really I know, enjoyed. and we really liked Luang Prabang. Um, it's lovely, days, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, great. Um, and then, yeah, and then we basically, in hindsight, we probably could have slowed down a bit in Laos because we actually had, we massively overestimated how long it would take to get over to okay. Hanoi. So, um, that was a bit of a shame, but uh, yeah, that was a, we just had to commit to a date in Hanoi, so um, we sped up a bit. Yeah. And did your parents bike at all, or they just um, you guys just took a time off of bikes when your parents? We did actually. We hired bikes uh, one day in uh, where was it in Vietnam? Ninh Binh. Ninh Binh. Which is kind of like Halong Bay, but inland. And we rented bikes, and it was really interesting. We gave them a kind of mug because of. Of our trip within one day, unintentionally, unintentionally, because we got lost a bit. We had to find food. We got dehydrated. <laughs> then we saw a really nice bit, and then it was rubbish again. But it kind of had everything, a bit of everything, all in one day. So we, we got to show them a taste of the trip. Perfect. Yeah, by the end, they uh, they had a better understanding of what our daily lives had been like for the past ten months. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say was your, let's say, in Southeast Asia? Did you have a favorite country or anything like that? I think it probably is Laos. Yeah, that was where I go back to. Okay, yeah. maybe I because mean, maybe because you feel like you could have spent more time there, and you feel like you missed something, idea. right? Yeah, I think because we we were really really enjoying it at the point at which we were leaving, and we you know in the other countries that we spend a long long time in, you know like Vietnam, it was probably the longest time we'd spent aside from India. Um, you you know it's still an absolutely amazing country, and it's so varied. But by the end, we were ready to go to a new place, right. ready, to, ready to leave, and not not for any bad reason, just because you just you just tire of certain things after a while. And I guess we didn't have that in Laos because we were only there maybe two weeks. Um, so in in comparison to other countries, yeah, it was quite a short time. So yeah. we didn't feel like we'd explored it enough as, as much as we could have. I mean, yeah, and Thailand, I mean, Thailand's beautiful, but it's kind of a, we found it a bit monocultural. I mean, from the north to the south. Mm-hmm. There the scenery changes, but really culturally, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. The top yeah. And the bottom. But again, it's the, you see there's other benefits to it, like the familiarity, you know, accessibility to things. The people are so friendly and lovely. You know, yeah. we met so many nice people there. Um, I guess it's just different. It's depending on what you're looking for and in the adventure. And I guess we are we're looking for an adventure, and after a while, it just you you're wanting something a bit unfamiliar. I think, and in Thailand, you don't have that. It's all very familiar. Yeah, I think if um like a lot of people say, starting a bike tour is also like if you start in Southeast Asia, Malaysia, Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, they're so easy. It's just like yeah. the food is good, the easy to get on, to understand people for the most part in Thailand. Even like there's so much tourism that people know English, 
Exactly. And then, like, then once you're tired of like the, the the easiness and you're ready for that challenge, that's when you get into Laos and Vietnam. And like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. was there anything you 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 really didn't like in Asia? Like something that you're like, oh, I couldn't stand it. Uh, I think um, the thing that I found most shocking uh, is just animals. The side of the animals, just um, I guess how they view them. I don't know. Um, I mean, I never before the trip considered being like a vegetarian or a vegan or anything like that and definitely when we got to Asia um we just I, I don't know just the fact of how they transport all the sort of I mean it probably happens in the UK and you know the west too mm-hmm. but you just don't see it so much the chickens you know, the state in which the chickens are oh and they're all tied upside down hanging from a motorbike and you're like yeah, those things are still alive still alive yeah, yeah when you realize it's alive um just you know big cow heads on the street being sold and the meat just laid out and it's just so mm-hmm. in your face um which in a way you know if, it isn't like that in the uk but maybe if it was people would understand more and maybe a bit be more sympathetic to the whole sort of agricultural side you know but yeah it was just for me and also you know stray dogs you get this in europe too you know eastern europe more so but um yeah just the kind of the treatment i guess of they animals. get treated badly yeah yeah, just, just I lived just, in, I lived in Malaysia for a long time, and there's a lot of people there that, um, not to say everybody, but there's there's definitely lots of times where I've seen people just taking swings and kicking at dogs and cats because yeah, but uh, yeah. sometimes it happens. Yeah, actually, I wanted to move on. I wanted to jump to where you guys are now. You are back in England. You've finished your tour. What was it like to go home after a year on the road? Oh, hmm. um. I think because we always knew that we ha- we had to get back for my, my brother's wedding, basically. Okay. So we knew that we had to be back at a certain time. Now, we did at one stage consider, you know, me flying back, going to the wedding and then coming back out. But then I think by the end, we were we got quite excited by, you know, these are the plans that we had for coming back home, like starting our own business, maybe, you know, our own practice for architecture. We started getting more excited by those mm-hmm. things back home again which we did, hadn't got the excitement for before oh interesting um, left you know the sort of the reason why we were going was to sort of have a break and to figure things out and you know to have an adventure and i think because we started to sort of get excited by those things we mm. were excited to get home weren't we yeah. even though we obviously we knew we were going to miss the adventures and that sort of thing mm. we were kind of we came to the resolution that you know it was a good thing and and one thing that really helped was that we decided to save two weeks at the end of the trip before we had to get back and fly to Ireland and then we did a little tour of sort of homeland I guess and I, that that sort of really helped was bringing us back down to easy, uh, back in. Oh, okay good you know? yeah I did notice that you did that that was amazing um, yeah so we decided we flew to Dublin and then we did the we, we got a train across to the west coast and cycled down the west coast and the boat across to Wales where Matt's from and we saw his family and then we cycled up to my home in Sheffield which is where we've now settled um so it just really helped us to sort of yeah I guess get excited by home again and yeah. to sort of realize how lucky we were to have mm-hmm. certain places you know on our doorstep and that sort of thing um so I guess that really helped easing us back in mm. would you say yeah that's great because, uh, yeah, my experience, I lived in Russia for th- three years and then I came home and I found it a little bit tough to connect with people because of just the experiences I've had. And, you know, when you're uh, as an expat, it was a little different, too, I think, as a spike tourist. But my, my experience as an expat was 
you're always sitting around with other like-minded expats and you're talking politics or you're talking this and that. And then you go home and people are like, so did you watch the hockey game, eh? Yeah. Uh, and you're like, oh, fuck the hockey game. Like, what, do you, what about those poor kids in Sri Lanka, you know? <laughs> I think you feel, we did have that. Um, I think you feel, we were quite self-conscious by it because we didn't want to come across as being too, I don't know, I don't know what the word is, but um, it's imposing the trip on everyone. Yeah, right. we, what yeah. we've seen and you know how we were more enlightened than they were. So I think we were probably aware of it, weren't we? That we didn't want to, we didn't yeah, want to come, be, across. come across that way. But you definitely, you definitely feel like you've changed. Like I think my parents or Matt's parents had said to us, "Do you feel like you're different at all?" And we immediately thought, "No, we're not different." And then yeah, you have these conversations and you see people that you haven't seen since you've left, and you realise that you have changed. Yeah. You views have changed. Uh, and you know, for the better. Um, but I guess it's more that we just don't. Yeah. Necessarily. And like you say, you know, we're sometimes shocked people's kind of lack of awareness or uh, lack of willingness to engage in yeah. kind of other things yeah. going on. But I mean, but like you say, we we don't want to force it on people. Yeah, people absolutely. Good if they discover it for themselves. You know? In yeah. what ways has the tour changed you or like that you might have noticed and what like maybe your, your parents have noticed? I'm sure if they're asking you, they've noticed some changes too. Uh, well, I think, yeah, kind of what Beck said that in many ways, it's a good thing if you don't notice what's happened. But uh, I've been uh, I've been told I'm uh, generally being more positive. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, more and, relaxed, I think. Yeah, I seem more relaxed. I mean, because uh, a lot of things get thrown at you on the on the trip it's not just not working for a year you know you have to deal with a lot of scenarios and mm-hmm. i think uh you have i guess more not mature attitude but you can kind of handle lots of different scenarios and mm, more rational and uh... difficulties thrown at you i think that's something it's a skill you kind of just hone uh subconsciously really mm. uh, during the trip. but i guess the sort of rela- the relaxed side I, how i see it is not getting so involved in certain like minute things that like I've noticed a lot of things here you know people get so bogged down in trivial matters you know whatever it might be mm-hmm. and just you take a bigger picture you see the bigger picture more and um, you, I guess you only really sort of get involved in things that you actually think mean something you know um, and I guess on the other end of the scale is just to do with that consumption and um, you know obviously we've lived a year for a year over a year with just a few things and we're trying to, even though it is hard because, you know, in this sort of capitalist society, you know, you get constantly being thrown, you know, adverts for everything and mm-hmm. you need the best thing, you need this latest thing. And um, we're trying to be, you know, less materialistic and um, you know, to live sim- more simply, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess they're the main changes, really. And do you feel you've succeeded so far? Like you guys are now getting set up. You've you found jobs, correct? Yes, we yes. have, yeah. What kind of jobs are you doing? Um, so I'm working with my dad, actually. He's um, in property, so I'm doing sort of architectural side of that with oh, him. Cool. And um, I, I'm just doing freelance architect, architecture work, um, which is kind of quite suits me. One thing I learned from the trip as well is um, we met a lot of people that kind of just work when they need to. Yeah. Uh, I thought that's a really nice way of living, so... I'll kind of pull that back a little bit. So just doing freelance work when I need to. So Taking control back. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And what are you going to do with your extra free time? Uh, go on bike rides. Nice. <laughs> You've already been doing a lot of cycling. The good thing about where I did we see live that. here 
in Sheffield is, is the Peak District, so it's perfect for cycling. Good cycling, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really good cycling. Good okay. road cycling. Nice. Yeah, I did notice in your Instagram that you guys have been biking. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to see. I have too. It's, it's just really nice to get out on a road bike. Even like touring bikes are great and all, but sometimes you just want to feel that burn. And yeah, you realize, yeah, the, well, how, you know, how light a bike actually is and <laughs> how fast you can go. <laughs> yeah. Would you say there are any downsides to doing a big tour like that you, that you did? Uh, other side from the money effect um, or the need uh, to have that money? I would say um, one thing, there was no point when we were really fed up. We never got sick of riding, but there were times, I think around Christmas times so in Nepal, where we were just being a bit too uh, uninspired or unappreciative of the trip. Yeah, we definitely took things for granted. So because you kind times. of like, bomb, you see so much stuff that you you become complacent in what you're doing. Uh-huh. You're not really making the most of the place. So, culture fatigue. Yeah, yeah, I guess cultural fatigue. Um so I mean, really, if you if you had the kind of time and money to do it, you could almost it'd be. I think it would be really good to break it up into kind of six month blocks where you you mm-hmm. can go home for a bit, get that contrast, and kind of reset your mind and go out again. I mean, that's something I thought of doing, but once we got over that the Christmas hunt, we started enjoying it mm. again. But like you said, the cultural fatigue. Like, how many times when you were in Asia did you go like, ah, oh, just another temple? Let's not stop. Right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you get to a place and they're like, well, you have to go here and you have to go here. And definitely towards the you know, the last few months, all the places that we had on our list, we just didn't bother going to because it was like, well, that's just going to be another temple. Let's just go to, let's just wander around and go to a really cool village just outside. Or, you know, you start to do things a bit differently and realizing what, you know, where the yeah, real yeah. culture is, the authenticity of a place. Um, what's next for the two of you then? You have jobs, you have a flat. So... Uh, we did say we'd like to carry on touring, so we said we'd do smaller ones. Um, you know, we made friends from the trip. We uh, we made a good friend in Denmark. We want to go and see him. Um, there was, what countries? Yeah, I guess to? the first few trips will probably just be visiting people that we've met that we want to go and see again. Um, you know, doing shorter trips, you know, even if it's just two weeks, yeah. the other thing we've realized is you can go to a place, you know, and do a few countries or, you know, do a few cities, whatever, just for a, in a two week break. Um, it definitely won't be anytime soon that we'll do another big trip like this, but hopefully, you know, a couple of months or something, we'll mm-hmm. have to do maybe some of the Americas, yeah, and South America. Um, what else do we talk about doing? Even what? just some, um, you know, in a van, Matt likes the idea of, Getting a you know an old van and doing it up and kitting it out with a bed and do, you know doing a road yeah. trip somewhere. Yeah, so and you could get a bike rack on the back, throw some mountain bikes on there, put the bikes in the back, do a bit of cycling, and then carry on. So, yeah, a few uh, few ideas in the, mm-hmm. in the pipeline. Yeah, I think I had um, I had a guest uh, Harry and Roily from uh, Holland, and this was before the world tour that they're on now, but they. They started biking because they wanted to go to Italy and just eat and drink as much as they wanted to. And so they were like, oh, it's a good balance. You know, we're doing some exercise and then we're eating out on all this good food. So there you yeah. go. You, and you mentioned Italy. So it made me think of it. And I thought, you know, that sounds amazing. <laughs> exactly what we like to do. So <laughs> and Italy's not too far away for us. So. And Becky, you did say, uh, I just want to bring it back to the tour for a second because uh, something I forgot, but you did mention you you do like to do photography quite a bit. Um, what kind of equipment yeah. did you carry with you? So, um, I mean, I do have an SLR, but we obviously 
the limited on space. So we invested in um, a digital SLR, just a small compact mm-hmm. camera. It's a Sony uh, RX100 yeah. uh, Series 3, I think it is. Um, really, really good camera. Um, you know, it is like it's, it's an investment, definitely, because you know they're not cheap these little cameras. But we it was definitely the a good a good choice of camera getting it. Um, mm-hmm. You can just put it out your bag. You know, when you're on the bike, to take pictures as you go, and um, it's really good sort of settings. And, yeah, cause it kind of encouraged you to take more photos rather than yeah because uh, it was a bit more discreet than shoving a slr and so on yeah right so, yeah we find it gave us quite a bit of freedom with photography and uh, we also took a um a laptop which i don't regret doing uh i think you can get by these days without taking one but because i like i say because i wasn't uh, sort of editing i just wanted to do it properly and have a you know a really nice record of it and it also helped with blogging so yeah. uh, we did carry a small laptop as well um and i did edit the photographs on the laptop to start off with and then two months before the end the, the laptop started to die on us in oh, no. Cambodia. so we um we then had to do all the editing on the phone so it was a bit of an issue at first but you know we got by absolutely fine um just with the phone um so yeah um i'm glad i took i'm glad i took we also took a uh, little gopro didn't we, for, yeah you managed to break that as well i also managed to break that i didn't it didn't completely break it just smashed the screen <laughs> um but again, I would recommend taking a little um, action camera if you're into. Yeah, and you can buy cheap ones too now for like fifty bucks yeah, or fifty yeah. pounds. Yeah, there's loads out there now, so it's just nice to have a record of things. Yeah, I met one guy. Um, this is not on a bike tour or anything, but he had a, you know, this cheap little Chinese-made action camera, and he was like, "Yeah, it's really cheap, but it's good to 10, 10 meters underwater and." paid like $40 for it or like maybe yeah. 30 pounds or something and he's like and if it breaks I'll just order another one exactly like, yeah it's a good idea it's gonna it's probably as likely to break on a trip like this if you go to <laughs> all these countries because you know it's not easy on some places so I would recommend just you know don't spend a lot of money just get something that does the job like you say mm-hmm. yeah my buddy's lost two two drones now <laughs> oh that's a big expense as well isn't yeah. it they're getting tough on them crossing over borders as well. They take drones off people. My uh, my father was telling me, even in Canada, you're going to have to have a license to fly a drone starting soon, like maybe this month, next month, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we heard about a guy, a cyclist in um, Myanmar, in Naypyidaw, the new capital. He flew his drone across the government buildings, which, you know, why are you going to do that? Why, why do that? You're obviously yeah. a dumbass. And he went to prison, so um, for a few He's in jail for three months, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, and he got everything confiscated. So yeah, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, you got to be smart and careful, guys. Thank you so much for this time, and uh, I'm so glad that we did finally manage to have this uh, to do this interview. We we've been um, playing tag back and forth for <laughs> two months now, I think. But yeah, I'm glad we did it. Yeah. It was- Nice. It's nice to talk about it and to, yeah, to the memories come flooding back. Where can people follow you? Uh, so we are still on Instagram. Yeah, it's at 2 bike 2 two, Sorry, I can't speak. <laughs> at 2 bike 2 so it's T-W-Bike-T-O. Uh, we've also got uh, our website, which is the same, 2bike2.com. Uh, and on Instagram, uh, we're going to try and keep the blog up. We've still got photographs to post on Instagram, which we're very behind on. I'm still doing the videos. We have we're a YouTube, 2x2 YouTube channel. <laughs> still want to make the videos. We've got lots of things to catch up on, but oh, yeah, we're hoping it'll yeah, continue for a few months. So, yeah. 
All right. Well, thank you for your time and uh, all the best. Yeah, thanks very much. It's great to meet you. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. In next week's episode, I will be interviewing the Swag Family Hughes, a family of cyclists that are doing a one-year trip around Australia as a means of teaching their kids about their own country. Throughout this episode, we're going to talk about the Swag Family Reconciliation Action Plan. We're going to talk about why they decided to do a tour just in Australia, what it's like to tour with children, what are some of the challenges and some of the great things about it, and whether they have anything they would do differently if they were to do it again. So tune in next week, and I hope you enjoy the show. If you like this podcast, please click the subscribe button on whatever podcast listening app you are using. You can also follow my podcast through its website at www.biketouradventures.com. If you have any questions, comments, you want to get in touch, or think you have a great story you could share, you can get in touch with me at info at biketouradventures.com. This podcast was recorded on August 29th, 2019. For more great bike touring stories, go to www.biketouradventures.com. Thank you. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated and keep on pedaling.